欢迎大家来听 Cinema Shop Shop， 看些翻新。Thank you. A shout out to past and future guest, friend of the show, Shasha, for that introduction. She,、uh, we had hoped she could be here for this episode, but she and Marco are taking their new camper or their retrofitted camper out for its maiden voyage. Do you know what they named the camper? Your name is Toby. <laughs> but this is not a Roots podcast. Welcome to season eight, episode two of Cinema Chop Shop. This is a movie podcast that concedes that remakes are going to happen. So why shouldn't movie buffs like us decide who is recast in those iconic roles? My name is the Great Wall of Travis,、mm-hmm. aka the People's Republic of Travis. Yes, aka Crouching Tiger, Hidden Travis. I love it. <laughs> And I'm joined, as always, here in the shop by my co-host and co-producer, Shanghai Sean, aka Rickshaw Sean, aka Wonton Sean, aka Wuhan Sean. Why wouldn't it just be Rickshaw? Yeah, I know. I thought about that, but it might have been confusing to some people. And we are not joined by Chop Shop regulator Chelsea today, but she does have nicknames. We are remiss not to mention China Doll Chelsea. A.K.A. Tai Chi Chelsea, A.K.A. Chel Silk Road, A.K.A. Chel Century Egg. <laughs> Further description of the show: the tagline says, "Watch Chop Retrofit," because essentially that's what we do here. We watch older movies, sometimes classic films with iconic actors, and then we retrofit them by tweaking the design with new parts. Quick disclaimer: We're not actually in favor of the remake, reboot, sequel-dependent cinematic culture. This is more of an exercise in irony and satire. We try to be funny, and sometimes we succeed. All right, that's going to bring us into our first segment, and that's going to be movie news. And this is where, throughout the week, Sean and I pay attention to stories that we think apply to our show and that our listeners might find interesting. And unfortunately, this week we do have to start it off with a couple of RIPs. So rest in peace and rest in power to Scottish actor John Fraser, who died at the age of 89 of cancer, unfortunately. And he is known for a few films, including *The Trials of Oscar Wilde* from 1960, *El Cid* from 1961, which I believe is Charlton Heston and Omar Sharif. Yep.、Uh, then we've also got *Repulsion* from 1965 and *Isadora* from 1968. Rest in peace and rest in power to him, as well as Swedish actor Sven Wolter, who died at the age of 86 from complications due to COVID-19. And he is known for films such as House of Angels, A Song for Martin, and The Man on the Roof. Once again, rest in peace and rest in power to both of those gentlemen. Next, Michael J. Fox warns about going back to the future of 2020. <laughs> In a new Lil Nas X video. Now, Sean, I don't know if you're familiar with Lil Nas X. I am not. He's the Old Town Road guy. Gonna take my horse to the Old Town Road. He kind of jumped genres from、okay. hip hop to country this、right. past year. Yep. That's、uh, that's where that's coming from.、Uh, then next we've got The Rock is rebooting his Mummy spinoff. I mean, Money spinoff. The Scorpion King, <laughs> and I saw an article today that said it's the perfect swan song for the、um, the monster verse. 
Well, you know, I, the one I saw said, because The Rock doesn't need another franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Next, uh, this is a follow-up to our story last week about Johnny Depp being booted from the Fantastic Beasts series. Uh, guess who's in talks to take over the role of Grindelwald? Please, do tell. Mads fucking Mickelson. Okay. I love Mads Mickelson. I do too. He's such a menacing actor. In fact, he's so menacing that he's one of the few actors who's played Hannibal Lecter, a Bond villain, and a Viking berserker. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, So I think that they could probably do no wrong with that casting choice. Next, a documentary about Kurt Vonnegut was bought by IFC Films. Are you a Vonnegut fan? Uh, not really. Not, not against him by any means. I'm a big fan. In fact, uh, his last novel before he died, A Man Without a Country, is one of the very few books that's made me physically weep in public. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm a big fan. But his new documentary or documentary about him called Unstuck in Time was bought by IFC. So I look forward to that. And then we've got one more story and it. This came out after I printed my notes. Can I throw it over to you? Yeah, yeah. AV Club reports that David Cronenberg uh-huh. is going to star in the new season of Shudder's Slasher Anthology. Is it's, is that the name of the program? The Slasher name of the anthology? anthology is Slasher. Slasher, okay. And it's on the Shudder uh, streaming service. And so on the surface, this is interesting because he's not known as an actor. He has uh, appeared in several things, uh, but he is known as a director. Yes, yes you're absolutely right. But uh, acting is not unknown to him. So uh, it's interesting and a kind of a nod to uh, the new flesh. The new flesh. <laughs> to put him in there. For listeners, uh, go back and listen to our Cronenberg episode. It was crazy. And watch Possessor. Possessor, his son's movie. Yes. All right, that's going to wrap us up on movie news for this week. And do you hear the phone ringing? That must mean it's time for the Department of Corrections Department with Chief Corrections Officer Dana. Good day, choppers. Yes, England basically said either go to prison or go to Australia. Transportation to Australia was imposed for offenses for which death was considered too severe. Baz Luhrmann's Red Curtain trilogy was Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, and Moulin Rouge. George Miller, the director of The Man from Snowy River, is not the same as George Miller, the director of Mad Max. That's it. See you next time. All right. Thank you for that, Dana. And in all seriousness, we're thinking about you and we wish you well. And that will close the doors on the Department of Corrections Department for this week, bringing us to the theme of the episode. second destination in our November Around the World film series, we'll be talking about Chinese movies. So, uh, first thing I think we should mention is that there are three distinct uh, directions that Chinese cinema went from from its beginnings and throughout its history. We have the films of mainland China, and then we also have the Hong Kong cinematic boom that really took off in the 90s. And then you also have the films of the true Republic of China, Taiwan. (laughs) And uh, your thoughts on especially that 90s boom in Hong Kong films. Yeah, there was a time when you could not get away from uh, wire work in films. Mm -hmm. And it kind of started with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Mm -hmm. and then you had Hero, and you had uh, House of Flying Daggers. 
and then it kind of bled over into American films right. with a lot of John Woo's work, but also The Matrix. I yes. mean, that was heavily, heavily influenced and by a lot of Kong the, cinema. A lot of the stuntmen in The Matrix series were actually Hong Kong stunt actors and martial mm -hmm. artists. And I would, I would dare say that probably for our audience, mm -hmm. that would probably be the most accessible. Right. They, it has the most exposure to American yeah. audiences, but we're leaving the door open. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be... Anything is on the table, whether or not it's mainland, whether or not it's Taiwan, whether or not it is uh, thematically applicable. And so, uh, with that, I think we should go into our midnight double feature. Sure, why not? All right, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, I wanted to challenge myself and mm -hmm. steer clear of the aforementioned Hong Kong martial arts type movies. Yes. So I kind of dipped into some romance ah. this week, which is uh, not my forte. Right. But uh, I looked up several uh, lists of the greatest Chinese movies mm -hmm. of all time. And the one that tops the list in so many of these, of these list categories is in the mood for love. Okay. I'm not familiar with it's this. from the year 2000. And, oh, disclaimer, we're going to butcher some names. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're not going to do any accents on this episode, oh. uh, but we probably will be unintentionally mispronouncing a lot of names. So it is directed and written by Carway Wong. Okay. And it's the story set in 1962, which, okay, that's in my wheelhouse. Right. Stylish as hell. I mean, you're talking about well-dressed people, really cool retro furniture. Um it's two neighbors, a man and a woman. They form a strong bond after both suspect their spouses of cheating on them. Oh, wow. With one another. Oh, boy. Um, now, I think it's interesting you mentioned the year, 1962. Is mm -hmm. that right? And so this is not very far removed from the Cultural Revolution. Exactly. And, th and I was going to say that this is intentional because in the backdrop you do have uh, some, some of that mentioned, however, mm -hmm. it doesn't play a pivotal point in the story. Right. Um, uh, but, but it, I wonder if the cheating aspect could be metaphorical, right, right. right. There, there's a lot of symbolism and I'll get mm -hmm. into that in just a second. Um, so you've got the two of them suspecting their spouses and they obviously have an attraction to one another. The and wives, the 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 husband okay, and gotcha, gotcha. the wife who suspect their other spouse. Um, what it is is he's uh, she's like my husband's a, a, a traveling businessman. He's always away. And my he, wife's a traveling businessman. And he, he said, "Well, my wife's my wife just came home with this tie for me." And she goes, yeah. "That's funny. My my husband has that tie." So they kind of put two and two together, and they agree that they need to keep their relationship platonic, so mm -hmm. they don't commit similar wrongs. Right. So they don't have to. So they're not being hypocritical. So they go through the motions, and this is where it becomes torture. They go through the motions of trying to understand how their spouses would have met each other uh -huh. and how they would have fallen in love. That's very interesting. And so it's a very tortured kind yes. of movie because these two obviously deserve to be together. Right. And so in but circumstances, so in terms not in terms of a love story, it, it, it rates up there with uh, remains of the day. Okay. Where you have unrequited love. Yes. And so it kind of it kind of hits on those on those points. Um, but I did want to comment on the costumes. I talked about how stylish they are. Yes. Uh, the primary actress, Maggie Chung, 
she wears a very typical silhouette from that era um a dress with a very high collar very high like choker collar yeah and it's the same outfit throughout the entire film. It just, the, the, the fabric changes from costume to costume. Oh, interesting. And so we're making a point about this, this choked collar, mm-hmm. this, this uh, shackle, if you will. Right. And at the end of the film, they advance a couple of years. And by that time, she's gone to like an open boat neck collar. So she's so been she's liberated. Liberated, more. exactly. Yes. So beautiful movie, beautiful movie. Um, I'm following that up with 2007's. Oh, uh, I've seen, go ahead, go, go ahead. I was going to say, I've seen selected scenes of the movie you're about to talk about. Okay. I'm going to talk about Lust Caution from uh-huh. 2007 by Ang Lee. Yes. This was uh, produced and filmed around the same time he was also doing Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. This received an NC-17 rating in the United States because, because of its graphic sex. Right. It's I not that graphic. don't think that it's that graphic, right. but Ang Lee and the production company were unwilling to change a thing. For the United States. Well, good. Stand your ground. Because Ang Lee felt that the um, graphic sex was reflective of what was going on Mm -hmm. in China at the time. Right. The tumultuous nature of everything. Right. This is set during World War II. You've got a young woman. um, She gets swept up in a dangerous game of espionage and intrigue. She is part of a group of collegiate thespians. Uh Uh-huh. And this group becomes really tight and they don't like what's going on with the ratting out of uh, revolutionaries Mm -hmm. to the Japanese. And so they form this alliance and decide they're going to take out uh, Tony Leung's character. I guess I should mention this is Tony. Tony Leung is the primary actor in both of these films and Leung's like an interrogator. And so they put up uh, Wee Tang or Wei Tang as the, uh, the uh, object of his desire. Now you'll know her from uh, a lot of the other Hong Kong movies that we right. just talked about the house of flying daggers right. and crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Um, but she, uh, she becomes his lover and it's supposed to be heading towards the end game of they're going to kill him. Gotcha. And she is trying to entrench herself in his life and gain his trust just so they can, execute this master plan such subterfuge and uh and as i said in my review don't let this nc-17 rating fool you this is a spy movie yeah with a lot of romance and a well-made movie it's great i really enjoyed it and uh these two are 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 fantastic and i'm glad i picked both of them very nice didgeridoos (laughs) that was last week all right so for mine i went with a little bit different direction um i went with two films that i remember from when i was a kid and they feature Chinese subject matter, but not necessarily made in China, or uh, one of them is by a Chinese filmmaker, but one of them is not. But they both feature the stories of Chinese immigrants in the United States in two different generations. So the first one that I'm gonna talk about is called Thousand Pieces of Gold. It's from 1991, and it was directed by a female director named Nancy Kelly. It's got a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Set in the 1880s, this film chronicles the journey of Lei Lu, played by Rosalind Chow, a Chinese woman whose financially desperate family sells her as a bride. She is sent to the United States, where she is bought by a sleazy barkeep named Hong King, played by Michael Paul Chan, who plans to make money off of Lei Lu by forcing her into a life of prostitution. 
Unwilling to submit to his demands, she begins her own successful business venture and captures the attention of the troubled but kindly Charlie, who becomes the male romantic interest. Guess who plays Charlie? Uh, Tony Leung. Chris Cooper. Oh, well. Chris Cooper. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Chop Shop favorite Chris Cooper. All right, so now we've got this first-generation Chinese immigrant woman uh, who's in the United States, and she's having to make her own way. Then we're going to fast forward to 20th century San Francisco, okay? This is the Joy Luck Club, which a lot of people are familiar with, from 1993. It's got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was directed by Wayne Wang, who is a Hong Kong director. He also directed some American films like the movie Smoke okay. with Harvey Keitel. Yeah, yeah. And then the pseudo-sequel Blue in the Face, which was just outtakes from Smoke. <laughs> uh, he also directed the the film adaptation of Because of Win Dixie and also the horrible Jennifer Lopez Rafe Fines film Made in Manhattan. Uh, I have a friend who is an extra in that. No shit. Yep. Uh, so set in San Francisco, a group of aging Chinese women uh, meet regularly to trade familial stories while playing mahjong. In a series of 16 vignettes that spans generation, generations and continents, this adaptation of Amy Tan's best-selling novel explores cultural conflict and then often turbulent relationships between four first-generation Chinese-American women and their mothers. That's, so that's funny you should say mahjong that plays a role in both of my films oh it plays a role well. in like almost every yeah, part mahjong yeah. is everything yeah and uh so i should i should mention first that both of these films star rosalind chow uh in leading roles and also you mentioned mahjong my lovely wife michelle drink and i had the opportunity to travel to china several years ago uh it was part of an educational trip we were chaperones for students and, uh, you know, as a chaperone, you don't get to do all of the things that you would like to do on a regular vacation. But after lights out, you put the tape on the kids doors and you go out and do your own thing. And Michelle and I wandered through the streets of Shanghai and probably, uh, against our better judgment, wandered into like little neighborhoods that we had no business being in. And we walked past this open door building and it was full full of little old ladies playing mahjong and all you could hear was their chatter and the click clack of oh, the yeah. mahjong tiles oh yeah yeah i bet you there was some uh, illegal wagering going on it's entirely possible but oh, i yeah. don't want to speculate <laughs> all right so that's going to be my double feature of uh chinese immigrant stories recommendations on both yeah absolutely yeah, recommendations all right, so that brings us to our next segment, which is the feature segment. This is the recast. And this is where we each, each of us here on the panel tonight, uh, we have pre-watched a pre-selected movie and we're going to talk about it and then how we would hypothetically recast a few of the main roles if we were in charge of the remake today, right? Yes. And so the first movie... This one was a little bit of a slow burn, a uh, little bit of a slog. We're talking about Yellow Earth from 1984, right? Yes. And this was directed by Chen Cage. It does have a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I think that is partially a product of the time that it was released and uh, I guess its cultural significance. But uh, buyer beware, it 
It is a chore. It is a slow movie. Yes. But given the subject matter, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. It reminded me a little bit. Well, I'll mention this in a minute. Uh, in the spring of 1939, an idealistic communist soldier uh, played by Wang Sh- Wang Shukul. Wang Shuki Wang Shuki takes the Chinese countryside takes to the Chinese countryside on a mission to collect spirited folk songs from the people. Now this reminded me of that movie Songcatcher about the the actual historical figure Max something or whatever who went around the Appalachians and collected folk songs. Uh so however he soon discovers that these peasants don't sing songs of joy, but ballads to tell their hard-scrabbled existence. Though he returns to the army, his speech on freedom makes a powerful impact on Kukiao. Kukiao! <laughs> uh, played by Zhu Bai, a young girl who dreams of crafting a new future by following his example and enlisting in the communist army. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Um it's funny you should mention that uh, Songcatcher because I didn't know Songcatcher existed, but that's exactly what I used as kind of my premise for my recast. Um, it, I love the premise of this film. I love the idea of some guy going out to the remote areas of a country to get these supposedly inspiring songs mm-hmm. for an army and only to discover that, well, their songs aren't songs of rallying cries and being inspired they're more of tales of sadness and survival and uh the movie reflected it it's not a happy film by any stretch um and of course the whole time you're watching it you feel really bad for the young girl who's inspired to join the military and you're like why why go no don't do it but at the same time she's got a pretty mundane humdrum kind of life back home with her really old dad. Yeah, she was, um, yeah. Uh, so I'm just a real quick side note. Although Songcatcher is a fictional film, it's loosely based on the work of Olive Dame Campbell, founder of the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina, and that of the English folk song collector Cecil Sharp, portrayed at the end of the film as Professor Cyrus Whittle. Those, neither of those two are the person that I'm thinking about. But uh, I think we get the idea, right? Yep. All right. So the roles that we're going to recast are Gu Qing, Gu Qing, G-U space Q-U-I-N-G, played by Wang Shuki. And he was 38 at the time. And who were you thinking about for this? Well, I'm going to do my Joey Poole and and give you my my whole uh, premise for the film. A Confederate soldier is sent to the hills of Southwest Virginia to collect folk songs for the Civil War. Yes. There he stays with a hillbilly family and discovers the harshness of mountain life. So, with that said, my recast is going to be an actor who is 33 years old. He was born in Richmond, Virginia. And people would know him from the film uh, 17 Again, RV, it's complicated and sleepover, but most would just know him from the TV show Weeds. Mm-hmm. I went with Hunter Parrish. Hunter Parrish just showed up in Ratchet, the Nurse Ratchet uh, uh, adaptation on FX. Uh, is it Ratchet or Ratchet? I think it's Ratchet. Uh, all right, so the person I was thinking about was Alan Lomax. 
I had the Lomax part right. And he was an American ethnomusicologist. And he's the one who traveled around Appalachia. Cool. Collecting those folk songs. All right. So my pick for uh, the role of Gu Qing is 32 now. He's a Chinese actor and martial artist. He's in... Oh, this is great. He's in Shaolin Popeye. <laughs> he's in Ip Man 2. Okay. And he's also in Chinese Dragon. His name is Ashton Chen. Ashton Chen. I thought you were going to say Shaolin Soccer. No. Dude. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's, it's fun. A, it's a fun movie. It's very fun. But Shaolin Popeye, I really just hope that it's like an adaptation of the Popeye that we know. Oh, God. That'd be great. Yes. Does he, instead of spinach, does he eat some sort of like... Uh, cabbage. Cabbage. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, cabbage. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got the father of Kikiao, uh, who's played by Tan Tuo. Tantuo was 65 at the time. No, I don't have an age on him. Sorry, my actor is 65. <laughs> right? Go ahead. Um, so again, this is the, uh, the Appalachian uh, Confederate uh -huh. version of this. I went with an actor who was uh, born in New York, but uh, very uh, early in life, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, he is known for his roles in Smallville, The Rebound, Sidney White, He's gone on to become a very successful country music artist, but everyone knows him from the Dukes of Hazard. I went with John Schneider. John Schneider. That's awesome. I don't know if you can say he's a very successful country music artist. He had a couple of hits. He had a couple of hits in the 90s. Well, that's more successful than me. Yeah, that's true. He's very successful. Sean Paisley. <laughs> All right. My pick for the father of Kikiao is, as I said, 65 years old now. He's also a Hong Kong actor, known for his collaborations with filmmaker John Woo in the action-heroic bloodshed genre films A Better Tomorrow, The Killer, and Hard Boiled, and in the West for his roles as Li Mu Bai in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Sao Feng in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. His name is Chow Yun-Fat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is going to be the dad. Although sometimes his name is pronounced Yun Chat or Yun Fat Chow because a lot of times right. in Chinese culture, the family name is said first, first before right. the given name. Wow. He's, he's 65 now. 65 years old. Damn, I'm old. We're all getting old, buddy. Yeesh. Um, not as old as the culture of China, though. Uh, next, we've got Kikiao. Uh, the character is supposed to be 14, and I don't have an actual age on her. No. Uh, but she was played by Shu Bai. And who was your pick for this, sir? Um, I went with a 21-year-old actress from uh, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Chelsea. Andrew. Buck. Um, and she's been in one thing that, uh, that people would know her as, and she ex uses her musical talents to a great degree. Uh, she was the character Maddie Conrad in the TV series Nashville. Okay. Her name is Lennon Stella. Lennon Stella. Yes, I've talked about her before. I chopped her before. <laughs> really? Yes. Mm. All right. My actress is 13 now. So she's in the ballpark age range. She's a Korean-American actress, uh, but she is Asian. And like your pick, She's only been in one thing, and it's on a television show. She played the older adopted child Lily on Modern Family. Her name is Audrey Francis Anderson Emmons. 
Audrey Francis Anderson Emmons. Now, I got confused when I was casting this because early on in the show, when they first adopted Lily, it was twins yes. playing that role. And then later, they needed an older looking actress. And so she played the older one. Right. I came across the uh, original yeah. Lily, and she's like 21 or 22 yeah. now. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts on Yellow Earth. Yeah, like you said, it's a it's a tough slog. It's... My official review was that it's kind of like something you would watch in a cultural geography course in college. Yeah. Shout out to Scotty B. It is not a casual popcorn film by no. any stretch. Uh, but it does hold its place of importance in the cinematic culture of yeah. China. Yeah, and that's well, why I... we talked about it today. Yep. All right. So that will bring us to our intermission. Sure. But not before we say... Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some prawn flavored potato chips. Oh, they love that stuff. And some PBR. <laughs> it's like a it's like a luxury beer in China. No bullshit. They sell it in the Magnum. Nice. All right, Chop Shoppers, thank you for bearing with us during intermission. This is your host, Travis, and I just have one question for you, Sean. What is one way we could make our podcast more prominent? Oh, if our listeners would rate and review us on iTunes. Rate, review, and subscribe to us oh, yeah, subscribe. on iTunes. And, or and, and pin your friends down and, and force them to do it. Make them go ahead and do a review. We're very under like, like, like Make it a whole pyramid scheme. Get the people under them yeah. to do it. And multiply a podsy it. scheme. Oh, I like it. Yes. You folks who are listening right now, it would be fantastic if while you're listening or right after, you don't have to stop the show, don't stop the show. But if afterwards you could go to iTunes and give us a review or a rating, that would be awesome as well. Or on whatever uh, podcatcher app it is that you're listening to us. We're on a few of them. And also, uh, be aware of our online presence. We have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash cinemachopshop. We're hosted natively online on Podbean. It's cinemachopshop on Podbean. And our Twitter handle is at cinemachopshop. We do a lot of stuff on there, like our movie marathon, where Sean consistently kicks my ass. Also, our uh, email address is cinemachopshop at gmail.com. You can email us anytime. We check it frequently. The beers that we check in after intermission, you're about to find out about some, are always checked in on Untapped. That's U-N-T-A-P-P-D. And we are Cinema Chop Shop on there. Once again, thank you to you, the listeners. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the rest of the show. And now... On with the show. All right. Welcome back, Chop Shoppers. Thank you for bearing with us during intermission. We just had to go get some takeout. And what do we like to do when we come back from intermission, Sean? Oh, beer check-ins. And we've got a somewhat on-theme beer today. Uh, do you feel like getting lucky? I do. This is Lucky Buddha. Lucky Buddha is a Chinese beer, a uh, product of China. And it is made in made by the Shandong Yangcheng Brewery Company in Huangqi Baozhen, China. It says it's the uh, enlightened beer. The enlightened beer. So I could use a little bit of enlightenment. I'm going to crack it open. 
All right. And you've got yours. I've got mine. Mm-hmm. What are your immediate thoughts? Well, first of all, the bottle just speaks to you. It's mm-hmm. it's a custom bottle. You've got the little Buddha guy mm-hmm. uh, carved into the glass. It's just gorgeous. It really is. It seems almost not cost effective. <laughs> no, it can't be cheap. But uh, malty sweet. Yeah. And then it's got that signature skunky skunkiness that you associate with Asian beers and also like European lagers. But it's not unpleasant at all. No, no, it's great. And this is whenever I and my lovely wife, Michelle drink. We're in China. Of course, I uh, partook of some beer there and they even sell beer in the vending machines, but it's not always cold. Uh, yeah. I'm all but for vending machine beer. This but... is definitely the the predominant flavor that you would get yeah. in your mainstream beers over there. Also, I mentioned, I think off mic, that uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon is considered a luxury beer there, and they sell it in Magnums. That's crazy. It really is, and it's like super expensive. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, a Magnum is like 750 mil or it's higher. It's a gigantic condom. Like, like one, one and a half liter? I mean, just big. All right, they've got it like glassed off and stuff. You have to get the <laughs> the attendant to come and bust out your PBR. Wow. All right, so next thing on deck is the 2020 movie marathon, right? Yes. So today is, as of this recording, the 318th day of the year. And I I made some strides this week. I'm on 272. Good on you, man. I am on 389. Jesus Christ. It was a short week for me. I only checked in the films we watched, my double feature, and two other movies. All right. Well, considering that, how about I go first, and then you'll go between mine. Sounds good. All right. So my first check-in for this week is number 365, and it's one that we've talked about and one that I've been looking forward to. It's called On the Rocks from 2020. And this is the reunion between Sofia Coppola and Bill Murray after Lost in Translation. And in this one, he's co-starring with Rashida Jones. And Rashida Jones plays his daughter. And they're somewhat estranged because her parents are divorced. And he is a very famous man. They never get into uh, what he's famous for. But he's a wealthy older playboy porn he's famous for porn yes and uh oh god that's a bad visual (laughs) bill murray porn yes (laughs) although it would be hilarious um so the chemistry between them is great the the story is great um i found myself relating a little bit to bill murray bill murray's character's i don't give a fuck attitude Uh, But I found myself wondering if it is a reflection of Sofia Coppola's dynamic with her own father, Francis Ford Coppola. Okay. So, and I have no idea whether or not that's true. It's just some kind of speculative thought that I had after watching it. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'm going to check in the film 2046 or Mm -hmm. 2046. Uh, This is a follow-up feature by... uh, Carway Wong, okay, who did in the mood for love, okay, so much so that the billing on this film was, "Are you still in the mood for love?" Oh, nice, that was their logline. And immediately, I was just like, "Oh no!" But it's highly rated and highly regarded, and I, I thought it was okay. I didn't like it as much as in the mood for love. Okay, this film as well uh, stars 
Tony Leung. Gotcha. And it's set in 1967-68. He's a science fiction writer. And he moves into this apartment, and he's supposed to have the room 2046. But he doesn't get it. He gets, like, the next door room. And he interacts with a lot of different women in this film. And he... He's told himself that he's never going to fall in love again because the girl he was supposed to fall in love with just didn't happen. He's jilted. And so he's he's had a lot of lost misconnections. And in his science fiction, he writes of 2046 as almost like a destination. Like a year? Not even a year, like a place. Like a place okay. you'd hop on a train and you go to 2046. Interesting. And people never come back. It's supposed to be a great, wonderful place. Like a utopia. Uh, yes. You know, again, it plays on the themes of circumstance standing in the way of love. I wanted more of their sci-fi metaphor, though, because there are some scenes where it jumps into the future of his brain ta- yeah. thinking about this 2046. And it really contrasts nicely to this 1967 kind of aesthetic. Um but uh, outside of that, I just I wasn't in love with this. I didn't really care for it as much as I did the previous film. Um, in 1967, they thought the future was going to be crazy Star Trek crazy. Yeah, it's not quite that. It's not quite that. And by they, I mean humans. <laughs> but uh, it was fine. I, don't get me wrong. It was a good film. I just didn't really like it as much as the other. Fair enough. All right, my next one is going to be a movie that I was so-so on at first, but the third act is really a payoff. It's called Kajillionaire. Kajillionaire. And this is about a dysfunctional grifter family. Okay. Um, The parents are played by Deborah Winger and the dad. I can never remember his name, but he's uh, the FBI agent opposite of, uh, what's Barbara Streisand's husband's name? I don't know. Brolin. Oh, All right. James Brolin. Brolin. Josh Brolin is opposite this guy in flirting with the disaster as the two gay FBI agents. Uh, anyway, he's great. And then uh, the daughter who is codependent with her grifter parents is played by Evan Rachel Wood. Okay. And I don't know how they made Evan Rachel Wood ugly, but okay. they did. She's practically unrecognizable in this. Hmm. Um, I, Like I said, the first, the beginning of it's a little bit slow and then it starts developing. There's a a relationship that she develops with somebody outside of her circle of, you know, con artists. And it really, it really gets there. Okay. What you got next? Um, This is the only other film I saw this, this week. It was uh, the new mutants, the new mutants. And I think that I liked this more than you because I'm a, a layman. Yeah, you did. Um, and I think that because I've been waiting for this film to come out for so long and I know personally people who have worked on this movie, friend of the show, Clinton Odell, who's also uh, done a segment for us. in the Yes. Past, right? as, yep. He did an interview with us. And then, of course, Bill Sienkiewicz, the artist who is credited with the look and feel for the new mutants during the 80s. Uh, was involved in this film so much so that he did the illustrations of all the actors. At okay, the like end. the storyboards? He did, no, in the end credits, you had okay. illustrations of each of the actors. That was Bill. So I really had high hopes for you this movie. You wanted to like it. And I wanted to like it, and I just didn't. And it's because of one actress, and I hate to single out one actress, but the actress that played Danny Moonstar mm-hmm. was so bad. Okay. So awful. She 
was Kristen Stewart quality. Are you talking about like her delivery of lines or just her acting in general? Her acting in general was okay. just, it was terrible because you have an actress who is sharing the screen with Anya Taylor-Joy, mm-hmm. who is argu- Williams. arguably, Anya Taylor-Joy is the rising star of young actresses yeah. right now. Yeah, she's the um, the next Lindsay Lohan. No, no. Watch the watch the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Uh, oh, it's really good. Maisie Williams. Yes. And then uh, his name escapes me. The guy from uh, uh, Stranger Things who played Cannonball in this film. Okay. So you've got. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got those three actors. You have the the evil science lady whom I've seen in a few things. The third act was great. I loved the action. I thought it was really cool. And their their visualization of Ileana. Huh? Of their powers? Yeah, yeah. Well, that and the, the visualization of Ileana's uh, transition into the limbo, which is where right. she teleports to. Uh, that's a great storyline that they should follow through. Should they ever pick this movie up again? Mm-hmm. I don't think they will. Um, those things were really well done. But uh, the actress that played Danny was just so bad. She dragged this thing down like a boat anchor. Did you notice that Anya Taylor-Joy slipped in and out of that Russian accent? Oh, of course she did. Uh, it was kind of distracting to me. That's on the director. Gotcha. They should have they cut those scenes and reshot them. All right. My final check-in, although I do want to mention another Maisie Williams movie I saw this week called The Owners. Okay. The Owners. It's a horror thriller. Check that out. It's better than The New Mutants. Okay, good. Uh, but my final check-in is going to be called Jungle Land from 2019. And it is a movie about a boxer, kind of a down and out boxer and his older brother, who is his manager. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he is down and out is because of the shenanigans that his brother pulls. They're played by uh, Jack O'Connell plays the boxer and Charlie Hunnam plays the older brother. I like Charlie Hunnam. They're both great. He's uh, best known for Sons of Anarchy and... Uh, King Arthur movie and the lost city of Zed. And then Jack O'Connell was cook in the second season or second series. I should say of skins, big fan of skins. And, uh, the two have a palpable Newman Redford dynamic. Yeah, I can buy that. And also it was to me reminiscent of, uh, what was the movie with Christian Bale where he was, he was a boxer. Oh yeah. Um, I almost said the wrestler, and that's not right. Yeah, I can't is it, remember is it the, the t- fighter. It might is, be the fighter. Is that yes. what it is? I think it might be the fighter. Uh, but that kind of like that potential that is going untapped because of circumstances. Right. Yeah. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. What was your favorite movie this week that you watched? Oh, definitely on the rocks. Okay. On the rocks was awesome, dude. Cool. Yeah, and I'm. I mean. I'm a Bill Murray completist and mm-hmm. devotee. I, if he were, if he were not accepting the results of an election, I would agree with him. <laughs> what? What? Is he a denier? No, I'm no, I'm saying if he were running for re-election oh, and he oh, refused to you. accept defeat, I would be in his camp. Oh, I get you. I get you. Now That's you how much of a loyalist I am to Bill Kool-Aid. Murray. Yeah, yes, yeah. I drank the Bill Murray Kool-Aid. All right. So does that wrap us up on the 2020 movie marathon for this week? I think so. All right. That brings us into the second part of our feature segment, which is the recast continued part two, the sequel. This movie, uh, did you like it more than the other one? I did not. You did not. You liked it less than the other one. Wow. Yes. It's from 1997 and it is the directorial debut of 
Jia Zhangke, or Jia Shangke, uh, who later went on to be a, a pretty well-respected director. Uh, it's got a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think that your criticism of this is that it seemed very much like a student film. Well, again, it might be this film is the victim of circumstance. We should that, say it's called The Pickpocket, the pickpocket. slash Zhao Wu. I watched it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And it was very, very painful to watch. Oh, like like 320 resolution. After I watched it on YouTube, I discovered that under the name Zhao Yes. It's on the Criterion channel. To be fair, <laughs> when I sent you the links, I did put AKA Zhao oh, no, I'm not blaming links. you. I'm not blaming you, but I, I wonder if I would have had a different experience. Probably. I watched it on Criterion. I know. It was You're pretty welcome. cool. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, also, uh, this is not on us. This is on Google because if you look up this movie under either title, it does not give you a watch now option no, for Criterion yeah. channel. That's something that maybe maybe Criterion and Google need to work out. Maybe they need to be on that list. Well, what it was is after I checked it in on Letterboxd, I saw the Criterion logo. Yeah. And I was like, you motherfuckers. Damn it. <laughs> All right. So once again, it's called Pickpocket or Zhao Wu. Uh, trying to forget his troubles, a small-time thief, Hong Wei Wang, played by Hong Wei Wang, his name is Zhao Wu, uh, visits a brothel and falls for a prostitute named Mai Mai, played by... How Hong Zhang. And besides that, there's also this element of kind of disappointment because all of the people that he used to run with when he was a young thief have all now gone on to professional slash semi-legal trading jobs. Yeah, in the beginning of the film, they, there's a background mention about how they're cracking down on crime. Yes. And 1997 is the year that the transition of ownership of Hong Kong took place. From uh, Britain. Great Britain back to China. Right. So we've just got two roles that we're going to recast. The role of the pickpocket, Xiao Wu, uh, played by Hong Wei Wang. He was 28 at the time. And then the role of Mai Mai, played by Hong Jian Hao, and I don't know an age on her. I don't either. Um, okay. I did like her, though. I yeah. thought that she had a real playful kind of quality mm -hmm. about her. It's um, funny that you mentioned that because my theme is I'm going pure comedy Oh yeah, with this okay. remake. Okay. It's going to be a straight-up comedy, more funny than our sex worker with a heart of gold favorite pretty woman. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't want to just slam on the movie too much, but some yeah, of your criticisms though, though they are founded. It, yeah, it plays out like a student film. If you've ever been to like a play and you see somebody playing a military officer or a cop and the costume is on them, like, like, like bags, like ill fitting, a, a too big glove. That's what this movie felt like. Like everyone's costumes did not fit. Yeah, I noticed that. And I, <laughs> it was so prevalent that also I wondered if it might have been intentional. Well, could it, it have been like a commentary on the poverty in the region that he was in? Well, if that's the case, I mean, it really took away from the final scene. And I don't want to spoil too much, but being a thief, he gets his come up. Yes. And it's kind of humiliating. Very humiliating. And I think that a lot of the other things about the film kind of detract from that final mm -hmm. scene. And my, to, for me, that was my favorite part. Right. 
That probably the best scene in the movie, and it influenced my review. I said, I don't think that the moral is that crime doesn't pay. I think it's that you have to adapt. Yes. All right, so let's go ahead and recast these guys, guys and gals. Uh, first, Sean, you've got the role of Xiao Wu, played by Hong Wei Wang, our pickpocket. And I think that uh, the Chinese title for this was translated into English, or at least the English language title in China was The Artisan Pickpocket. Yes. I thought that was really strange. Yeah. The Artisan Pickpocket. Um, I went with an actor who was born in Singapore. Okay. Uh, but he was raised in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Um, he was in Riverdale hmm. in the first season. He was in Teen Wolf. He was in 13 Reasons Why. And he was in the movie Shazam. His name is Ross Butler. Yeah, Ross Butler. I've chopped him before, too. Same same for me. I found that much like in our Australian films and probably the way it's going to be in our Russian films, it was difficult to find younger, uh, younger Chinese actors. All right. Before I get to my next pick, you just opened another beer. And what is this, sir? This is something we've checked in before. This is uh, from Fanta Flora. This mm. is uh, from their um, Appalachian Wild Ale Society. I figured since I was doing that Appalachian theme yeah. earlier, this is from 2019. Uh, this is uh, blend number one. It is a blend of their 2018 blueberry mm-hmm. and Cabernet Sauvignon grape aged ale with reishi mushrooms. Which definitely sounds Asian. Reishi mushrooms sounds Asian to me. So for the listeners, I mentioned earlier about Michelle and I's excursion to China. And because we were on a a tour group, most of the food was catered or provided for us. We didn't get a huge opportunity to go out and try other things. Uh, But one thing that was consistent was these like uh, black mushrooms that were like almost like crepe paper. Mm -hmm. They were like the gills of a fish. They were they were unbelievably delicious i have no idea what really delicate yes but if any of our listeners know please get back to me on that and send some (laughs) and please yes tell me where i can buy them at least my pick for the role of shao wu shao wu excuse me is 33 now once again he's a hong kong slash american actor and he is very comedic he's a comedian he's he's got stand-up specials and that's the dynamic I'm going for with this recast is we're going to make it a straight up comedy. He is in the movie Patriot's Day. He's on the TV show Space Force. He was in Fantasy Island and Silicon Valley. His name is Jimmy O. Yang. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love him. He's so funny. That's the perfect pick for this role. Yeah. Did I win? You won. <laughs> you, you, you won the week. That is who I had in my brain, but I yeah. couldn't put my finger on right. it. You well, there's also the guy from Heroes. Do you remember that show Heroes? The the Asian guy from Heroes? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's who Michelle wanted me to I pick. Think, wasn't his name Hero? Yeah, he, his name was Hero, yes, but you know, H-I-R-O. I thought about doing a gender swap for this and casting the Asian girl from all the Judd Apatow movies. Hmm. I'm not sure who. Oh, wait, yes, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Uh-huh. Yeah, she would have been good. <laughs> Uh, all right, so next up, we've got the role of Mai Mai, the sex worker with a heart of gold, played
played by Hong Jian Hao. And who did you pick for this, Sean? Well, again, we were talking about the comedy aspect of yes. it and how she was kind of a little. She was kind of the comic relief. She was a this. wild card. Yes. So I wanted somebody. She's the Charlie could... of the gang. <laughs> yeah, I wanted somebody who could do some 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 funny stuff. Uh, Thirty-two years old. Uh, she was in Ocean's Eight. She was in mm-hmm. The Farewell. Yep. And she was in Crazy Rich Asians. Yep. Birth name Nora Lum. Mm-hmm. Known professionally as Aquafina. That's very interesting that you picked that because I picked an actress who's 32 now. She's an American actress born to Chinese American parents. She's a comedian, internet personality, rapper, author, and television host. She was in Crazy Rich Asians, The Farewell, Ocean's 8, Jumanji The Next Level, (laughs) birth name Nora Lum. Her name is Aquafina. Oh, the universe is aligned. Yes, it is. All right, so... I'm going to say that taking it for what it is, the directorial debut of this guy who would later go on to do big things, I'm going to give it a soft recommend. You know, give me some time to let the wound heal and I'll watch it on Criterion and I might feel differently about this movie. But right now it is not a recommend. I hear you. All right. Are you ready for the bonus segment? I am i am we're not doing a battle royale this week i've noticed on facebook lately there's a lot of these like lists where you can only have one or get rid of one you know well yeah that and we've got uh googe asking us to do top five lists indeed all right so this is going to be an american chinese food you can only have one okay all right so between the following dishes and you can only have one forever or ever do it again Shrimp fried rice versus pork lo mein versus Mongolian beef versus General Tso's chicken. Oh, General Tso's chicken. You pick General Tso's chicken off the bat. Hands down. Hands down. I make it myself. Nice. I will make Tso's chicken from scratch myself. It's so good. It's one of my favorite dishes. I have to go, and my lovely wife, Michelle, drink, and I are in agreement on this because we had it for dinner last night. Pork lo mein. No, pork lo mein's good, though. I've been eating nothing but Chinese food all week just in That's preparation awesome. for this episode. That's awesome. Dude, uh, you know, I wouldn't kick any of them out of bed. No. Don't get me wrong, but uh, for me, it's 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 the sauce, yeah. And we do need to really kind of emphasize that the Chinese food that we get here oh, it's nothing. is nothing compared to... It's, it's the to, same with Italian food. Right. We, what we eat here is not what you'll find in Italy, and right. et cetera, et cetera. All right. We are American assholes. (laughs) We're going to wrap it up. I want to thank Chelsea for uh, not being here. That's mean. And also, I want to thank my co-host and co-producer, the engineer, Sean the Brew Boss. Anything you want to plug this week? I have a new plug. What is it? It's a new podcast from our peer and friend of the show. Uh, Rob Tudor. Oh, really? AKA Dr. Husband from uh, Checkered Past. He has started Bob his and own, Rob. Yep. He has started his own podcast. It's called Liberally Speaking. Oh, okay. It is a conversation series with professors of the liberal arts. Very cool. And so you've got a lot of collegiate discussions about uh, backgrounds, histories, philosophies, and approaches to uh, that type of education. Fantastic. I love it. Oh, and uh, I did the logo. 
Oh, you did the logo. <laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Do you know what next week's episode is? We are going to do a stop number three on our trip around the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to do Russian films. That's right. And I do have a sneak preview question and answer for the upcoming week of Right Answers with Wrong Travis. And so this is about Russian film. At over $68 million, the highest grossing Russian film of all time, Soviet era excluded, is Stalingrad from 2013. This is a Russian war film directed by Fedor Bondarchuk, and it was the first Russian movie released in what format? Much high technology. It is in VHS. No, it's Betamax. Damn it. It's actually IMAX. It was the first Russian movie to be released in IMAX. So IMAX is the right answer to your sneak preview question and answer for this week's trivia. Uh, I want to plug the podcast itself. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on all of your podcatcher apps. We're also hosted online. We are on Podbean. We're Cinema Chop Shop on there. Our Twitter handle is at Cinema Chop Shop. We're on Facebook. We're Cinema Chop Shop on there. We are on Gmail at cinemachopshop at gmail.com. And all the beers that we checked in today are going to be checked in on Untapped. That's U-N-T-A-P-P-D. It's kind of like a social network for craft beer. And we're Cinema Chop Shop on there as well. As always, I want to thank you, the listeners. Please remember that Black Lives Matter and wear a mask. And as always, remember to watch Chop, Chop Suey. Retrofit. Retrofit. And get well soon, Dana. <laughs> <laughs>